you know, I'm, I, ne I never know what I'm going to do when I get here, uh, but I'm going to tell you about what happened to me, what I was like. I'm going to tell you about Alcoholics Anonymous in Texas where I came in. I'm going to tell you about things that have happened in my life since I've been here. And one of the things that's customary in uh, West Texas, I got sober in Odessa, Texas. Nobody knows where that is. It's an oil field, kind of a scrubby, roughneck kind of old town. And uh, they, when I went to that first meeting, that old man said, if they call on you, you stand up and tell them your first name and tell them how long you've been sober. And so in West Texas, everybody gives their dry date. And he said, if you don't give your dry date, there may be a good chance you don't have one. So it was customary when we got up, we introduced ourselves and we said, my name is Willard and I'm an alcoholic. And it's truly by the grace of God and the help of this program and a lot of people in this room and working the steps, it goes on and on. I have not found it necessary, nor have I taken a drink of anything containing alcohol since September the 13th of 1965. One day at a time. And so that's it, kind of what we do. And I kind of started doing that when I, I'll back up a little bit here, but first this, I started this one day at a time stuff when this old man said, uh, this guy that I talked to when I came to A, he said, how long can you go without taking a drink? And I was 24 years old. I said, sometimes I can go two or three days without taking a drink. It's not over a weekend. I couldn't get over a weekend very good. But I said, a lot of times I can go three days, not drink. He said, well, kid, he said, you got this program made. He said, you never have to go two or three days without taking a drink. He said, can you go one day and not take one drink? And I said, I believe I can. And on that simple premise, we started this journey. And so on September the 13th, 1965, I didn't drink all day long. And I had one day. The next day I did it, I had two days. And then, well, you see the pattern. You see how it kind of works? See how it catches on here? And so this morning I got up and I looked. And I try to look at every, I kind of look at my days because this, this is, this is my day. I, I, this is the only day I got. I got no more days. So this day is important. And what's important this day is I don't drink. And so today I had 20,243 days. And which is pretty good. But now I need to try to get 20,244 days and keep that streak going. See, that's what it's about. Not drinking. This is about not drinking. This old man asked when he told me if I could uh, ask me about not drinking one day at a time. When he took me to my first meeting and on the way, on the, when he took me home that night, and he said, "Well, here's here's what you do in the morning. I'll help you. This will give you a little guide to just not drink one day." And he gave me a little three-step program. I didn't know they had twelve steps then, but he said, uh, "Number one, when you get up." out of your bed in the morning, you get down on your knees beside your bed and you ask God to help you stay sober. He said, number two, don't drink any alcohol. That's really important if you're in AA. I don't know if we stress that enough. Uh, don't drink any whiskey. And when you do that, you get on your knees at night and you thank God for keeping you sober. And that's just how simple this is. My, my AA program is so simple, most people pretty much wouldn't do it. It's just 
you know, it's just not that hard, you know. You get up and you pray. Uh, you know, other I was thinking when I when I think about talk, a couple of things I think about when I, I talk. I, I think the, the most unnatural thing that I ever do is stand up for a group of people and talk about alcoholics anonymous. And it's even harder on Zoom. The Zoom is worse. I mean, there's no feedback to know nothing. I see a few people frowning, some of them leave, some of them, that's almost like talking into a trash can. I'm the only one I hear, you know? It's 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 difficult. And uh, so I don't know, I may just get halfway through and stop. But, uh, you know, when I, one time, one of my sponsors was a guy who went around and spoke a lot. He spoke probably, I bet, 40 weekends a year. He went over, and he was the kindest, nicest, even level-headed man I've ever known. I, and I told him one day, I said, how do you go to these conferences and how do you speak so much and uh, maintain your equilibrium and kind of be level-headed and what's your ego? And he said, well, he said, first, and this is what I think about when I'm here today, he said, first, when they ask you to come to this conference or come to this meeting, you're not a speaker. And he said, what you are is a member of Alcoholics Anonymous who's been invited to show up and share your journey in recovery. And so that's what I want to do. I want to tell you about my journey in recovery. And, uh, I, uh, you know, I, I think I had a pretty normal kind of childhood. I'm not going to go back in. I don't do drunk logs very much. I don't think I, uh, from looking over the crowd here, it seemed, looked like most of you drank quite a bit, I can tell. And so I don't think me telling you about how I got drunk is going to help a whole lot. And uh, I don't know if you need to identify with me because you're already in AA. You're already here. I'm not trying to get you in the program. You're in the program. So now we want to know what's going to happen once we get here. But, you know, I always tell them I had a pretty normal life until I was about six years old, I think. And I think when I was six years old, I went to school in the first grade, and I didn't understand that. And I didn't understand what other kids knew intuitively. I didn't know where to go for lunch. I didn't know where to I knew nothing. And I lived my whole life up until I found alcohol, pretty much uh, a misfit. Uh, I didn't have an inferiority complex. I was just inferior. I just couldn't run as fast as anybody else. I couldn't play like anybody. I didn't do anything. I was just different. I was always different. I was different. And, you know, and so when I, I started drinking when I was about 16, I finished drinking when I was about 24. But I, but I tell you what happened to me, and I was thinking about this. This uh, on the night, I was in a discussion the other day. We talked about spiritual experience and spiritual awakening, and I think there's a mixture of these two as we go through here. I think we have all kinds of spiritual experiences, but I think this this turning point when we come into AA. Um, when I went, when I called Alcoholics Anonymous on a payphone uh, at two o'clock in the morning, I went to a payphone and called. And uh, you know what a payphone is? You have to ask your sponsor. Everybody got cell phones now. But I went to a payphone and I and I had a phone book, which is kind of like the internet on print. You know, they had a, and I looked up Alcoholics Anonymous. And, and the significance of this is significant to me. I need to hear it. You don't need to hear it. I need to hear it. I called the first number and nobody answered at a club. 
It was two o'clock in the morning. Of course, they don't answer. They didn't even have uh, answer machines in 1965. And I call a second number in two o'clock in the morning, nobody answered. Third number, nobody answered. There's only three meetings in town in 1965, but under the last listing was an old man put, said, if no answer, call. And this man put his phone number in here. He put his home phone number in this phone book and I call that number and I talked to that man for about I don't know how long, because I was pretty much drunk. 30, 40 minutes, whatever. He talked to me. And I knew that he knew. I knew that that man knew what I was talking about. I under He understood what I said. Nobody else ever had before. I couldn't tell anybody else how I felt when I drank, what happened to me when I drank. And I went home out of that payphone booth, and my life has never been the same. My life changed that night. Now, I don't know if that's a spiritual uh, awakening. I always wish that I'd known what I said to my wife when I went back home. Uh, I don't know, but I know I slept. I went home and slept. I wasn't sleeping much before I came in because I would close my eyes and I would see this stuff. But after I talked to this man, I went home and slept and I called him the next day and he took me to Alcoholics Anonymous. He took me to a little old group he showed me the steps on the wall and I saw nothing uh, that I couldn't handle. I couldn't, it was going to scare me off God or whatever. I wasn't scared about that. Uh, and we started this journey and he said, I, he said, we go to meetings. I said, well, how often do you go to meetings? How often do I go to, when do they have meetings? He said, uh, tonight. I said, oh man, I didn't want to go tonight especially, but, but I went. And uh, he took me to my first meeting. And then he took me to this little group that became my home group. And uh, so that was kind of how I started my journey. And what I learned about Alcoholics Anonymous and the way I still do Alcoholics Anonymous today, I learned from these people in this first little group. I've learned from everybody through the years I've gone, but my foundation started in this group. And he said, Number one, uh, you need to get yourself a sponsor. And I said, what's a sponsor? And he said, a sponsor is somebody who is in the program, who is sober, like you think you'd like to be sober when you get where they are. Somebody who has something you want, you know? It, uh, it said, if you want what we have, well, he said, you've got to find somebody who has something you want and they will help you do these steps. They will help you do the steps. And he says, you need to visit every group in town and meet these people and find yourself a sponsor. So I did. And at that time, I smoked cigarettes and always had a pocket. So I got me a little three by five card and I put this in there. And I go to these meetings and I went back to every group in town. I had to go to two more meetings. Okay. We only had three meetings. There were three meetings in town. And so I go to these meetings and I see these people and I meet them and I put your name on this little list and I made me a list of potential sponsors and I go to another meeting and then I'd scratch them off when I saw how they did it. So, so but I come to start anyway, I, after about a month, three weeks, I don't know how long, I have no idea how long. I went to this old man. I said, I think I'd like for you to be my sponsor. And he said, okay. He said, we'll, let's talk about it. Let's see. He said, uh, he said, number one, he said, 
don't build your sobriety on me. He says, you build your sobriety on this book. Matter of fact, this book, this very book. He said, you build your sobriety on this book. Because he said, he's an old, he was old. My, I was 24. My sponsor was an old man. He was 59. I couldn't believe anybody could be that old and still, but he was 59 years old. I thought that's the oldest damn guy I ever seen. He smoked cigarettes, he's humped over it. Uh, he, he said, I got emphysema. I'm not going to be here forever. You got to build your program on this book. And I said, I can do that. And just before that, he just said, uh, he also said, first, you got to get a book. And I said, how much is a book? He said, the book is $4.50. And I said, well, I don't have $4.50. And I didn't mean I need to go get $4.50. I didn't have it, nor know where I could probably go get it. So he made me write my name on the chalkboard at the club. I owe you $4.50. Put my initials by it. And that's how I got my book. That's how I got this book. This precious book, because I bought it. I learned about responsibility. I learned about it. They didn't give me a book. He said, you buy a book. He, he said, if you can buy whiskey, you can buy a book. You know, this book costs about what a, I drank in real fine whiskey back then. cost about $4.95 a fifth. You know, I don't know what a fifth of whiskey is now, but it's not. That was cheap whiskey back then. He said, if you can do that, you can buy a book. And he, he made me live my life on the basis compared to what it was. Uh, did you have four dollars fifty cents when you? Sunday. I got my phone came on. Let me turn this thing on. He said, uh, "Serious talking to me." I think. Yes. Well, I got thrown off there. Anyway, and he, he also did the same thing about bringing money to the meeting, about putting money in a hat. He said, uh, when you come to this meeting, you bring a dollar. And uh, said, if you can buy whiskey, you can bring a dollar to the meeting. And probably since I've been an alcoholic anonymous, I have maybe had three times I didn't take a dollar to a meeting. And then I borrowed a dollar from somebody. I've, I've never gone to a meeting without putting a dollar in a hat. Never. I just, I just don't do that. I just, I can't believe that. You know, you just show up, put your money in the hat. They would, they wasn't giving away them, that alcohol. I went when I went to that bar. They, they brought that whiskey and that beer out there. You had to pay for it. So I put my money in a. And they began to teach me some responsibility and some common sense about trying to change my life from what I was to uh, what I'm going to get to be in Alcoholics Anonymous. And it started with being responsible. Started being responsible for uh, uh, supporting myself. Now, for many years, I would not give people a give away books. I wouldn't give you a book. I use the same thing. I'd say, you want a book, you got to buy a book. You know, you've been drunk for 10 years. You got money somewhere, you can buy a book. You know, you take the book and you bring it, you give them on credit. We give them credit, you know. Well, we're telling my group, we got liberal credit terms. Nothing down, nothing a week. Dude, you can pay for this book. And then later on, you pay for the book. And uh, it works out. Sometimes people call back. But then I had another friend that had just exactly the opposite experience with a book. He came to Alcoholics Anonymous. He was sober two years longer than me. He just passed a couple of years back. He came to A and the old man said, you need to get a book. 
And my friend Bob Baker said, how much is the book? And the guy said, $4.50. And Bob said, so that's what this is about, selling books. And the old boy said, no, take it. Take the book. I'll give you the book. And it struck him, you know. So it's, we don't know what's going to strike people certain ways. We don't know what people are going to hear that changes their life, you know. And there's been, I've had hundreds of these little snippets down through the years that have changed my life by being a part of this. So I came in, we started this book. Now, in, I always tell people in the, I live in Austin, Texas, is a kind of a progressive, uh, you got a university, kind of a green, green type city, you know, environmentally conscious and whatever. And, uh, you know, you light a cigarette to throw you out of the county, you know, you just can't do that. Well, in, uh, in 1965, in Odessa, Texas, if you didn't smoke cigarettes, you're not going to get sober in our group. If you've got a lung problem or you breathe, don't breathe. Well, you don't come to because they don't change for you. If you want what we have, which was we smoke a lot, and you're willing to go to any length to get it, means I guess you just suffer. I don't know what it is. But never, never did they think about changing Alcoholics Anonymous for me when I came in. I think my opinion is today that's kind of rampant. We all have a meeting. Some newcomer shows up, doesn't like the way we conduct the meeting or is offended by the Lord's Prayer or something like that. So we change the meeting. We do this. We don't like, well, nobody, it never entered their mind to change the AA meeting for me. I could fit myself to their condition. If you want what we have, which I did, I didn't know what they had, but I knew they were sober. And what they had, these people that I came in with, had something I could see in them. They had a, a, a spirit about them. I won't say they had an aura, but they didn't have an aura about them. And I knew they had something I wanted. I knew they were happy. And I knew they loved me. And I knew they cared about me. And if you want what we have, that's what they had. And I wanted it. And I did not want to disappoint them people. I would do pretty much whatever they said, you know. And I think we, I see people come here who won't do the smallest things and they go away. You know, they, they told me, I said, how do you know when you need to go to meetings? How do I know when to go to meetings? And this old man said, we meet Monday and Thursday at 8.30. You be there. Not give us excuses for not being there. You be there. They expected me to be there. And so I would get there about 7.30, about an hour early. And the old man would show up to make coffee and he said, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm ready for the, the meeting. I'm ready to do this thing. And he said, why don't you take this key and when you get here, you make the coffee. So I started making the coffee. And so they had me making coffee. And about three weeks after I was here, I got to be the coffee maker. Uh, up through tonight, that's about the best job in AA. I've had a lot of jobs in Alcoholics Anonymous, GSR, DCM, I've been a delegate. I've been everything. Coffee maker is the best deal. That's the best job here. Uh, past delegate and coffee maker are two really good positions that I've enjoyed since I've been here. And they got me active in Alcoholics Anonymous. And they got me going to these places. You know, uh, there's people on this meeting that I've seen in, uh, all over the country. And uh, it's because they got me to go in where Alcoholics Anonymous is. 
I got sober in September and about October, my sponsor was gone one weekend. And he come back telling me about this place he'd been where they'd had some speakers and had a kind of a gathering and a banquet and then all about 400 drunks got together. And he said, man, it's, you really need to do that sometime. And so it was at a little roundup up across the state, about 300 miles away. So next year he said, well, it's time to go to the top of Texas roundup. And I said, you know, I don't think I can afford to go this year. And he said, kid, I don't think you can afford not to go. You get the money and go. So I went to the bank and I made an application for a loan. Now this is 1965, remember? I made an application for a loan for $100. I need to borrow $100 uh, for 90 days. And they took my application and they didn't tell me that day. They had to take it under advisement. And I went back about a week later and they gave me $100 to go to this AA conference. So my first AA conference I went to, I borrowed the money. And I went to this roundup and the registration fee was $10. It cost 10 bucks to get in. And that included a banquet. So we got a banquet for 10 bucks. And the motel, the hotel was in a great big hotel. The hotel was $12 a night. So I had two bucks, uh, two nights at a hotel, $24. And we were in high finance back then. You know? And I had to buy the gas from a car. And my gas was a 22 nine, 22 cents, 23 cents a gallon. And uh, so I come home with about half my money. But the point is, see, the money, the money doesn't make that much difference. The money, the money and going, there's no relationship between money and going to AA conferences. There's no relationship between money and having AA experiences. It's just a kind of a tool, you know, and this, this the guy who was, there, this kid that had, that they gave him the book, it was here before me named Bob. I told my sponsor, I said, I'm, I'm 24 years old, you know, that's not, that's pretty good for getting an AA and getting started. And he said, there's a kid across town, 24 years old, already got two and a half years. And this was Bob. And this, this Bob, who was sober longer than me, who was with me for 55 years, told me, he said, when you spend your money and you're on Alcoholics Anonymous and doing these things, it will come back to you. You will have what you need. You know, the more you put in AA, the more money you'll have coming back. The more time you put in AA, the more time you have back. And that's true today. The more time I spend in Alcoholics Anonymous, the more time I have for my family. The more time I spend doing these AA things, the more time I have doing other stuff, you know? And so mo most of my extra money goes for Alcoholics Anonymous. I travel, or did travel a lot, don't travel anymore. Nobody travels here. But so I, so I kind of had to learn, get this, uh, get this money in its proper position. Keep, don't get carried away with, uh, you know, getting, I've had better jobs, I've had education, I got degrees, I got all kinds of stuff, but I've never left Alcoholics Anonymous. I've always wanted this, you know. And some people say sobriety is a gift. And I don't believe sobriety is the gift. A lot of people get sobriety. Hundreds and thousands of people get sobriety. Uh, but I think for me, the gift is that I've always wanted sobriety. See, people come here and after years they go away. Sometimes after months they go away. They get sobriety and they go away. They go back to drinking. See, stopping drinking doesn't fix alcoholism. 
Stopping drinking does not fix our problem. If it did, people with 15 years sober would never go get drunk again. If staying sober fixed alcoholism, I knew a guy 32 years got drunk. See, 32 years sober does not fix alcoholism. Going to meetings does not fix alcoholism. You can go to meetings and go to meetings. And you know, there's a saying, we have a saying around here that meeting makers make a lot of meetings. That's kind of what meeting makers do. They make a lot of meetings. And, uh, you know, and somewhere over the years, we incorporated this 90 and 90. I don't know where that come from. It's, I've been looking for that in this book. I never have seen 90 and 90 in here. Uh, but 90, and, which means I see people go to meetings and just to go to a meeting. Was it a good meeting, bad meeting? I don't know. I just, it was, a, you know, it was a horrible meeting, but I scratched it off. It was number 73. I got my meeting. I'm doing my 90 and 90. I got, in 1965, we didn't have to do 90 and 90 because we didn't have 90 and 90. There were not 90 meetings within, I lived in two towns pretty close together, kind of like, I don't know, Dallas, Fort Worth, Odessa, Midland, big town that kind of blend together. And there was, you could go five nights a week if you had a car and you could drive back and forth. We didn't do 90 and 90. What we had, we had meetings when we went to them a couple of times a week. I've always gone to a couple of meetings a week. And then we had a program based on this book. Our program is based on this book. I would go to meetings, come home, read this book. If I had a problem, I would look it up in this book and talk to my sponsor about it. See, we use this book. That's where my sponsor, one of the first things he did, I was going to say, one day he he didn't understand a couple of things he said in this book. It said, you know, we, I hear a lot of people today say, well, it, and it said, we don't like to pronounce any individual as an alcoholic. And, uh, I hear people say, well, you can't tell them they're alcoholic. Well, this old man, after I talked to him a little while, he said, I'll tell you what's the matter with you, kid. You're an alcoholic. I said, damn, I didn't know that. I never thought about it. You know, I knew it was drinking. I knew somebody, but he called, he just called me an alcoholic. And we, we kind of went on from there. But, but he loaned me his copy of the book. If you read chapter seven in this book, it says, you're working with a newcomer, loan him your copy of this book. He loaned me that book. Matter of fact, it was a first edition book, which is pretty good now, but back then, this is a second edition, so a first edition wasn't very old. He loaned me his book, and I took it home and read it, and then this chapter seven says, when you meet with him again, by now he had read this book. So newcomers need to take this book and go read it and see if they want to do what we do here. If they want to go to any lakes, you know, and uh, sometimes when you tell people what any length means, they don't want to do that. Say, well, you can ask somebody, you can ask a newcomer, and I've done this before, do you want what we have? Yes, I do. Are you willing to go to any length to get it? Yes, I am. And then I say, well, let me tell you what any length looks like. First, you go to two, you go to meetings I go to, you know, we meet Monday and Thursday, you be there. You got to go to me every Monday, every Thursday. And some of them say every week, every Thursday. Oh, gee, that seems kind of a lot, you know, and you got to get there early. You know, I, I go today, I go to a meeting an hour early. I go an hour early. My home group, I started a group a few years back here and, um, got about 80 people in there. And for a while I had the key. I was a 
coffee maker. I would get there an hour early and there would be 10 or 15 people standing around. And I said, what are y'all doing here? So we're ready to go. So, so they get there two hours early. I gave up my key. So when I get there an hour early, the tables are set up. Most of the good seats are gone. Coffee's made. People are standing, there'll be 10 or 15 people outside greeting the newcomers that come in. See, I've gone to meetings in Austin and all over the country, my, by the way. Anywhere from 40 to 60 to 100 people and nobody speak to me. Nobody will greet you when you go to meetings. I've been to meetings where nobody will say a word to you. They'll turn around and look at you, you know. They may look up from their uh, conversation with their friend. but So in my group, you show up, somebody's going to greet, greet you, get you before you get in the door. And the lady told me the other night, she said, I hadn't been to a meeting in a long time that had greeters. And I said, we don't have any greeters. We have AA members who make other people feel welcome to this group. And so one of the going to any links is you need to show up and shake hands with everybody in that room. And this little group I came in, it was a small group, of course, but when you came in the door, you shook hands with everybody. You introduce yourself to everybody when you walk in. Nobody walks in and not gets greeted. Nobody walks in and not shake hands with everybody in that room, you know. And so now when I go to my meeting, I think shaking hands is probably about over. Maybe we'll bump elbows or something. But I try to see as many of these 80 people as I can, you know. And I greet them when they come in the door. And I sit up at the front of the room. And then when it's over, I run to the door because there's some runners. You always get runners. They sit on the back row and they leave as soon as the meeting's over. So if you'll hurry to the back door, you can catch your runners on the way out, you know, and shake their hand, tell them to come back, you know. But you, you can't just tell them, don't drink, go to meetings, and it'll be okay. Don't drink, keep coming back, it'll be okay, because it's not, you know. If you just stop drinking and go to meetings, it's going to get terrible after a while, unless you do something. This is my opinion unless you do something about these steps. So if I said, you know, stopping drinking doesn't fix alcoholism or going to meetings doesn't fix alcoholism, what does? This fixes alcoholism. This is a treatment for alcoholism. I think we've advocated the term treatment to other entities, which is, they, you have treatment centers, we've got psychiatric centers, we've got hospitals, we've got all kinds of places that do treatment for alcoholism, and we do treatment for alcoholism too. This is a treatment, you know? Sometimes when I'm being a smart ass, I'll kind of introduce myself and say, I, I entered treatment on September 13th in 1965 with my first treatment for alcoholism. And this treatment was I went to AA. And if you read the book, it says, when Bill and Dr. Bob went to see Bill Dotson, AA number three, the number three guy says, what are you guys doing here? What are we doing? And they said, we're giving you a treatment for alcoholism. And the treatment for alcoholism is these steps. This is a plan. The plan is outlined in this book. Admit you're powerless over alcohol. I kind of knew that when I got here. And my life's unmanageable. My life had never been manageable, but I never tried to manage it. And some people have trouble with the second step and a power greater than ourselves. Let me check my watch so I don't get on a rant. Okay. Uh, 
See, I can't, I came some I came here knowing about God. I knew God when I came here. I was raised in um, kind of little old independent Southern Baptist churches, hellfire and brimstone churches around West Texas. And we knew about God. Time you're six years old, you know about God. And you know who he is and where he is and what he's going to do to you. And he's going to fry your butt pretty quick, you know, and you're going to burn forever in this lake of fire that's seven times hotter than any fire on earth. And this will come upon you in the blink of an eye. And this preacher's up behind that podium slaying that down. He unbuttons his collar and takes his coat off and wipes his brow. And if you've never been to one of those, oh, they're wonderful. They'll really mess you up. Uh, and I was raised on that kind of stuff. And, and this God always seemed to go to this preacher and tell him what I need to do. You know, I didn't talk to God. I got to go through Jesus or something. And get there, but God talked to the preacher, and the preacher told me how sorry I was. And so, Tom, the, the worst day I ever had in my life is when I got baptized. I never been so scared in my life. I'm about ten years old, and you know, and if I had to found alcohol when I was about sixteen, I probably went crazy. You know, I just wouldn't. I mean, that saved my life. You know, because when I drank alcohol, all those fears went away, and all this old crap I knew before went away. See, that's what I got from alcohol. And then I found out in this book that I was allergic to the alcohol. You know, I didn't drink like other people. When I started drinking, I'd drink to excess. I, I'm going to be drunk if I start. But it says that this book says that the fact that I'm allergic to alcohol would be of no consequence if I didn't take that first drink. So the main problem with alcohol is in the mind rather than in the body. And Bill calls it an illness of this sort. So I always look at myself like I got mental illness. People that come to AA have mental illness. Alcoholism is a mental illness. It's a physical allergy, but the main thing, the allergy is not a problem, you know. I think I got other allergies. I think I'm allergic. I don't know if y'all know, I guess y'all ever have turnips, if you know what the hell a turnip is. It's a little tuber, a little horrible tasting. I ate some turnips. One time when I was about 20 years old, and I got sick as a dog, and I've never eaten another turnip, never. I don't buy no book to not eat turnips. I don't go to no meetings to not eat turnips. I just don't eat turnips. They make me sick. I'm, but alcohol did the same way, and I would go back to that again and again and again until I found the solution to that was to do something for my mind. And so the steps take care of that. And so I do one and two and three, and then I write down some of the stuff that matter with me. And some of the, you, you, some, you couldn't take inventories like I did and call them inventories. Because when I took my first inventory, I had this little three by five card and I had it in my pocket and I wrote on there, I've been stealing over at work, some stuff I've been stealing. And then a couple of lies I told, I put them in my pocket like this and I go see this old man. And I said, uh, he said, how you doing? I said, well, I'm doing pretty good, but you know, I've been stealing a little bit over here before I work. I kind of tell him some of the stuff I'm doing. And so he tells me some stuff he's done. And then I tell him some more stuff. And so we kind of talk about that. And so that's, I wrote down what my problem was. And I went and told him about it. And then I went home and prayed to be over it. And then I moved on through the steps. See, I think the steps are designed. And the steps were taught to me to be worked 
continuously over and over and over. Because an inventory I take at one year is not going to resemble any inventory I take at 10 years. I had I put people on my inventory list at 19 years that I wouldn't have put on my list at 18 years. If you told me 15 years sober, I'm going to go see my dad and try to straighten out our relationship. I said, you're crazy. I'm not going to do that. And then 19 years, one day, I thought, you need to go straighten that deal out. And I said, no. And I thought about it again. And I thought about it again. And so I called my dad up. and We uh, made amends to him. Not made amends to him. I tried to get the best relationship we could have. And uh, I moved on. From, so, you know, I go through these again and again. And I always say, when you do the steps the first time, when you get through, if you've had any kind of change or awakening, you're going to say, damn, I need to go work these steps now, you know, and you do them again, and you do them again. Tomorrow night, I'll meet with a bunch of guys, 10 guys, and we'll do step two. It's February. We do one step every month. We got a men's study group. We do step every month. We'll go all the way through. December, we'll do 12. January, we'll start again. We do the steps over and over. My book, I've never seen in my book, maintenance steps. I got 12 steps. I never have seen any maintenance steps. You know, I think sometimes people can do the first nine steps and quit. And they just think, I'll just maintain this. I'll just go along here and float for a while. When really what I got to do is go back and look at me again on the first step. Is my life really unmanageable? What's the problems in my life I need to write down? See, that's what I do on inventories. I've taken inventories. And I'll quit in about five minutes. I'll take the inventory if I write down. What is the problem? I write that on top of a yellow pad. Now, you don't recommend you do this. Then I put, I'm scared. See, I had this yesterday. I had a lot of fear yesterday. Okay. What are you afraid of? And then I write, I don't know. And I would go see this old man. He'd say, how you doing? I'd say, I'm scared. And then, what are you afraid of? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, uh, about five years ago, my wife had a pretty serious, almost fatal illness, and I got really scared. I mean, I couldn't hardly drive my car. I was so scared. And I called this guy and I said, I'm so scared. I can't get out of the parking lot. And we talked about it. So we take all these fears and you go tell these people, what are you afraid of? Sometimes I know, sometimes I don't know. You know, sometimes I don't know what I'm afraid of. Sometimes I'm a little, not depressed. I, mean, I used to have clinical depression, I think, but now I kind of have down days. And But so what, you know? Uh, I used to hear this old man from California went around speaking. He said, is you rather be depressed drunk or is you rather be depressed sober? Is you rather be unemployed drunk or unemployed sober? Okay. Is you rather have a little fear in your life drunk or Fear in your life, so I'll take anything sober is better than anything drunk. And what I got to do to keep that going is I'm going to do it. See? And so I started on that program. I started going, I go a lot. I go to a lot of conferences, a lot of conventions, a lot of retreats, roundups. Uh, one of the, just before the COVID hit, I was going one or two times every month somewhere. I don't speak that much. As you can tell, I'm not a very good speaker. I don't get asked to speak too many times. They hear me and they say, don't ask him back. 
you know. But I go to conferences, I go to roundups, I love to go to retreats, I love to go see AA people. And I was gonna to try to cut back. I've been telling my wife for 10 years, I'm gonna cut back next year. And she said, you're not, no, you're not gonna. So I got to cut everything out. I don't like that too well. That solved some of my problems. I got to don't travel as much. I'm getting a little older and I don't like to travel as much. But, the, but doing these things have saved my life and doing these things and being around these people have kept me enthusiastic about this program. Doing these steps over and over and over have kept me enthusiastic. Having people in my life who are enthusiastic keeps me enthusiastic about it. My sponsor, I, th I think I got, I got a list. I keep in a little spreadsheet. I got 19 guys I sponsored. And somebody asked me the other day, they said, how many guys do you sponsor? And I said, about half of them, you know, just about half, you know. So uh, they don't come around much. And I tell people, if somebody asks you to be their sponsor, uh, tell them yes, because they're not going to call you anyway. You know, they're not, they're not going to bother you, you know. And so, uh, you know, Bill said when he, in the doctor said when Bill had it in the course of his third treatment, he began to present his conceptions to other alcoholics. Bill started carrying the message when he in his third treatment for alcoholism. So if you've been sober two weeks, you can tell somebody that's got a week how to stay sober. If you've been sober three months, you can tell somebody that's been sober 30 days about staying sober. They'll identify with you much more than they would me. You know, because you look at somebody and say, anybody can stay sober 55 years. I won't know how you get sober through next Christmas. That's what I'm worried about. See, so you just be available, stand up and be counted. You know, I've gave my phone number at meetings to some of the weirdest damn people I've ever seen. And I go home, I've gone one, I gave one guy my phone number and I went home and I prayed, God, if it be your will, don't let him call me. Now, if he does, I, you know, that's your will, but I just soon not mess with this. I mean, it, but that's what we got. That's who we are. We're all kind of strange, weird people. And uh, so, I, so I'm available to sponsor. I still sponsor people. Some people think, well, you've been here this long. Do you, do you still sponsor people? Of course I do, you know. And, uh, you know, I think sponsorship is, now I'm going to get into that. I'm not going to start that. We're getting out of time. And, uh, but, uh, but the point is, my whole life has been in Alcoholics Anonymous. And if I told you if I told you all the good things that happened to me, you'd say he's bragging and you'd log off. You wouldn't want to hear it, you know. I told my wife the other day, I said, next time I make a talk, and I hadn't done it yet, I'm gonna do it. I said, I'm gonna start with today. I want to start with today and tell them how good everything is in my life and tell all the things that's happened to me since I've been sober and alcoholic anonymous, and then work backwards. Then if I get back time and tell a bunch of old drunk stories, old drunk lies stuff, you know, I'll do that. But you know. What happens when you come here? What happens when you come here and stay this long? And this is what happened to me. It don't happen to everybody. I came, I came, I'm married to the same woman that I came to Alcoholics Anonymous with. We've been married in July, we were married 60 years. See? And we got, uh, I've been sober 55, we've been married 60. So we had a few rough years, you know? And I'm 80 years old. Since I came here, I went to college. If somebody out there going to school, I know some of you are in college. Somebody's going to college. Everybody's always going to college. I started college when I was three years sober. And uh, four years later, I had a master's degree. And I was a professor of economics at a community college. 
for 30 years. I got to, I was a teacher for 30 years. It's just, I barely got out of high school. They had to give me, they had to give me a C minus to get me out of high school. And I came to Alcoholics Anonymous and I kept Alcoholics Anonymous first in my life and I got a degree. It was free. I got it for free. I never missed a meeting to study for a test. I never missed a meeting to go to college. I kept A first, college second. Uh, so I got to career. I got to family. I got a retirement. I got a retirement. I kind of like the guy said, I got all the money I'm ever going to need or till next Thursday, whichever comes first. You know, I just, I just, I get by, you know, I don't know. But seem like the more money I spend on AA, the more my fixed income retirement goes to Alcoholics Anonymous, the more money I have. I was shocked when the COVID kicked in and I quit traveling. My money just, my money started piling up. I thought, well, I got extra money this month. Well, you know, I wasn't gone two weekends a month, staying three nights in a motel and buying airline tickets and going to do all this stuff. See, when I did that, I was even. Now I got extra money. And, uh, so, it's, but it's not money. The money's not important. You know, the money makes no difference about that. And it's easier when you got some money now. You know? What I tell you, I think what one of the, you know, some of the things I've learned. You know, I, I think being here and finding. And having uh, a mate, my wife, has helped me immensely in this program. Not three times since I've been here, as she said, do you have to go? We can't afford for you to go. Do you have to go this weekend? Never, never said it. She never does it. And I know it's been an inconvenience. Um, that helps. You know, and I found out material things don't make you happy. You know, now also, I found out too, material things don't make you sad. I never have got a new car and been depressed. You know, I never have got a bonus and been depressed. I never got a promotion on my job and made me sad. Material things have never made me sad, but that's not my goal in life. You know, I got to do AA and see what follows. And then, but the main thing that I've learned and I wrote this, I made a little list of things one day that I thought I'd learned since I've been here. And the last one was this. But for me, finding a way to live in Alcoholics Anonymous, I would have had no life. This is my life. This has given me my life, given me my family, my kids, my grandkids. I got granddaughters, grandsons, a couple of sons, friends, people I can go live with in six states and stay the rest of my life if I have to. All these things come from putting Alcoholics Anonymous first into the simple expediency of not taking that first drink and using this program and these steps in your life and loving these people and they will love you back. And one of my, I'm going to close. One of my friends said the other day, said, if nobody's told you they love you today, you need to look into that. I'm through talking. Thank you, Winnott. Thank you, Allard. Thank you so much. Um, lovely to hear you this evening and how wonderful it is to hear someone who's, uh, you know, sounds like you've got just as much enthusiasm for this program 55 years later as you did when you came through the doors. And what a treat that is to, to hear. And, uh, you know, what a lovely, lovely message.